You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 25. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. In this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, I had the opportunity to interview Alastair Clark, who is an immigration lawyer practicing in the province of Manitoba. Um, I have some connections with that fine province, as that is where I attended law school at the University of Manitoba. I had an opportunity to catch up with Alistair, and obviously, given the fact he is practicing in Manitoba, I couldn't help but take some time to get some insight from him on the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. Now, the the, the province of Manitoba was the first province to really uh, dive into this area of provincial nomination. So all of the other provinces looked at what Manitoba was doing and thought, hey, this is a good thing. We all want to get into the game. But for all intents and purposes, Manitoba pioneered the provincial nominee program. Um, you know, uh, some of you will say, you know, Quebec already had their own deal, and that's true. Uh, but for the rest of the provinces in Canada, uh, the provincial nominee programs really started with Manitoba. So I had an opportunity to talk with Alistair a little bit about his background and how he got into immigration. And then he spent some time sharing some insight on the Manitoba PNP. We covered a little bit of an overview and we talked about one of the questions I get more than any other. And that's whether an individual who doesn't necessarily have a connection with Manitoba is eligible to qualify to immigrate directly to Manitoba. We also talked about transitioning of people who are currently working as foreign workers to uh, to receiving a Manitoba provincial nomination. We talked about some low-skill workers, and then we had, uh, at least I had, Alistair give us a little bit of a projection what he thought would, uh, you know, what would be coming uh, in the future for the Manitoba provincial nominee program. And finally, he finished off with probably the most helpful portion, and that is uh, a number of practical tips and suggestions on how to avoid some of the more common errors that people experience when they're applying to uh, receive a provincial nomination from the province of Manitoba. So I think you'll really like this podcast, and it will be one of the first in a series of podcasts that discuss the various provincial nominee programs across the country. So without further ado, uh, let me jump into my interview with Alastair Clark. All right, I am here with my colleague and, and friend Alastair Clark, who practices immigration law in the province of Manitoba located in the heart of Canada. And I will start off by saying Manitoba, it's clearly the second best province in Canada next to Alberta. Um, I lived there with my wife and my two children while I was attending law school at the University of Manitoba. And so my whole legal career got started at Robson Hall. So welcome, Alistair. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start off um, 
by having you tell the listeners, well, you know what, I'll tell a little, a little bit of bio because it's, you never want to be too, uh, you know, no one wants to tell too much about themselves. So I'll, I'll cover off a little bit of background on you. And then uh, after I do that, then, uh, we'll start off with what I ask pretty much all my guests and that's how you got into immigration. So, um, from the bio that you provided to me, I see that, uh, Alberta is your, your, your province of origin, uh, born and raised in Edmonton. I think that's that, right. wonderful. And, uh, after that though, you are all over the map and, uh, <laughs> you know, for the last 20 plus years that you've, uh, you've been working, uh, I see here, you've been everywhere across Canada from Winnipeg to Toronto, Montreal, Kingston, Victoria, Vancouver, uh, I don't see any Halifax or the Maritimes in here, but pretty much every other location in, in the country, I guess we probably the Northwest Territories, is, <clears throat> that area, you probably haven't uh, spent too much time up there, but pretty much everywhere else. And then once you've got uh, tired of canvassing across Canada, we've got New York City, Washington, then overseas, Tokyo, uh, Esmeraldas, Ecuador. Okay, I got to stop. Mm-hmm. I got to stop here. So what yeah, did you do in Esmeraldas? Uh, I went down to Ecuador to actually do my high school diploma as an exchange student. And uh, so I learned Spanish and I completed, uh, I completed my high school in Ecuador. That is awesome. So you spent some time there, then uh, Brussels, Belgium. And uh, then this, uh, in the UK, you spent some time there and I, I couldn't pronounce the name of the, the city. What, what is it? What's it? What's it called? So the Her- French would say Erstmonceau, the British say Erstmonceau. Uh, and so, it's, so Queen's University has a campus mm-hmm. in England at, uh, uh, at Erstmonceau. And so I completed an international law degree uh, at, uh, at the castle in England. No way. Okay. So when did you graduate from law school? 2007. Do you know my brother-in-law, Spencer Ash? Spencer. Oh, there is a Spencer in my class. Yeah. And he went to the castle too. Uh, quite possibly. I certainly know every, everyone who was at the castle, we got to know each other very well. Now, I, it's a pretty tight group. Yeah, he could have been, um, so I completed my law degree in 2004. And so I think he was five or six. So he might've been a little bit ahead of you, but he also did the exact same thing. Went to Queens, although he's practicing here in Lethbridge. So it's a small world. And it is indeed, especially the legal world, especially the world of immigration law. Very small. <laughs> absolutely it is. Yes, we're a tight-knit little group that are collegial, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best area to practice in, you know, flat out. I agree. Excellent. Well, there we go. Well, a, little, a little side tangent there. We'll, <clears throat> we'll jump back here into your bio. So uh, you provide legal services with all of this traipsing around the globe. You provide legal services... In English, obviously, but French, Spanish, and a little Japanese. So I brushed over quickly Tokyo. Um, what took you to Tokyo? Um, so I was a, t- a teacher on the JET program for three years. And while I was over there, I also uh, worked um, to teach executives from Japanese countries, uh, companies, sorry, um, executive business English. So I taught, I went to the Sony headquarters in Tokyo and taught their executives, you know, just uh, how to negotiate in English, some common 
um, ways that, let's say, Westerners would conduct a meeting and other business tips uh, for, for Japanese executives. That is really cool. So you, you were over there for around three years, you said? That's right, uh, 1999 to 2002. And I met my wife over there. And uh, she was also an English teacher from Canada. They actually paired us up because she's originally from Eastern Canada and I am originally from Western Canada. So the Japanese thought it would be fun if we <laughs> put on a little skit um, where I argued that Western Canada was better and she argued that Eastern Canada was better. And we had this fake rivalry on stage. And so I would list the Rockies and the ocean and the prairies and she would list the CN Tower in Toronto and, and other things out east, and, uh, and the Japanese just lapped it up. And so from there, our romance, you know, blossomed, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, and then we moved to Washington, D.C. I was at the embassy for a while, et cetera, et cetera. That is so awesome. That that sounds like my law school classes. <laughs> I was one of the few Westerners, and even though I was in Manitoba, they, well, I think they probably still considered themselves East for the purposes of, of, of my uh, Robson Hall classes, but oh, that is awesome. Even though I didn't necessarily prescribe to the redneck, redneck philosophy, um, I always wore it with pride uh, when they knew I was from Alberta, so I had a lot of fun with that. So. Well, I had to learn how to line dance because they assumed as someone from Edmonton that I knew how to line dance, and I really did not. So in order to kind of satisfy the Japanese image of a Western Canadian, I had to find another Western Canadian, and she taught me how to line dance so that we could actually go up and, and do it. That is awesome. And you know what? That's so good. I'm going to find on YouTube some link to some line dance <clears throat> so that all the international listeners to this podcast are going to have a clue what you're talking about. Oh yeah, I'm going to put I'm going to put a link Western into the show garb. notes. Oh really? Oh, yeah. It's oh, fun. Absolutely. That, that is awesome. Well, it's easy to see how you you know how this immigrant practice of immigration law just comes so natural. You know, we could spend a whole podcast talking about all the things that you've done, all the ins and outs, and it's really really cool. Your your history is 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 fascinating. Um, I, you've also indicated that you focus your practice on, well, really, I, I wouldn't even classify it as focusing on, on uh, any one particular area. You have experience in a lot of different aspects of immigration. So, you know, not just, um, you know, helping uh, individuals with their immigration applications, one of which, of course, is the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program, which is the one I brought you on to talk about for, for the listeners today. But, you know, everything from family sponsorships to other temporary resident applications, business applications. And then you also have a pretty extensive um, hearings and appeals practice uh, before the Refugee Board of Canada and, and the federal court. And, uh, you know, require, including a whole host of areas, sponsorships, deportation appeals, misrep uh, issues, and, and the list goes on. So very cool um yeah i think you're you're perfectly suited to be doing exactly what you're doing so let's jump into the first question how did you get into immigration law sure so um it really started in washington dc and i worked um with a lawyer um who was negotiating for canada um, at the Inter-American Court of Human Rights in Costa Rica. And uh, I thought at the time that I was going to be a, a foreign service officer. Um, but working with her, um, I decided to go to law. 
And then uh, from law, I, uh, I thought, well, either I need to go into international law and work in Geneva or some other place, or I can be an immigration uh, lawyer and I can bring the world to my office and work with individuals from around the world who come to me and I can talk about how wonderful Canada is and I can then uh, help them to fulfill their immigration goals to bring uh, their family or themselves uh, to, to this wonderful country. Um, so it was really, that was kind of my path. Um, I was very fortunate through law school to get involved with the Center for Spanish-Speaking People's Legal Clinic in Toronto where I served uh, clients in Spanish and I really cut my teeth on um, some of the more basic applications. And then from there, articled um, at Green and Spiegel on Bay Street. And as you know, I mean, Green and Spiegel is really busy. And, um, and, I, and I was able to uh, have a very, very broad um, uh, range of experience on a lot of different files. I think, correct me, I might, this might be wrong, but I think I was the first articling student at Green and Spiegel to conduct a full hearing at the Immigration Appeal Division by myself. So Very cool. Yeah, that was fun. I know when I started uh, my law practice at Gowling's um, as an mm. articling student, there were no other immigration lawyers in our Calgary office, so I made the pitch and they said, okay, and I convinced them that my experience working on the border was enough to, uh, to turn me loose <laughs> and not necessarily have to feed off the scraps of the partners above me. So it was um, it was quite an amazing time, and when you're thrown to the wolves, it's unbelievable um, how fast that curve you can climb that curve and 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 become knowledgeable because you have no one to rely on. You have to know it, and so you over prepare. You spend endless nights with no sleep, which was my situation because there was this fear that you didn't want to screw up or fail. So you actually overprepared. <laughs> and so it was a, it was an actual blessing that I see now in my life, though at the time I, I wish that I could have had uh, an opportunity to, to, to uh, have someone right in the Calgary office. Although we did have some excellent uh, lawyers out in Ontario, uh, Bill McGregor, who is still working with Gowlings mm-hmm. in Waterloo, and uh, BJ Crusoe uh, was in the Toronto office, when uh, who I've had on as a, as a prior guest here on the podcast. So very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, as you said, I mean, uh, and one of the other things about immigration law that I, that I particularly love is the stakes are high. So we do the work, we put in the hours, we make sure that all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. We make sure that we submit the, uh, the best possible application. Uh, because if, uh, if our clients, uh, applications are refused or, uh, or potentially, you know, if there are other issues, then uh, that can lead to very serious consequences. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the neat thing, too, is when the successes come and how, mm-hmm. how genuinely appreciative these people are for, for what we do. And that's what really gravitated me towards the area. Yeah, I think immigration lawyers are probably among the few lawyers who are actually invited to weddings, because when we when we uh, get close to our clients to a certain extent, we almost become part of the family, and uh, and we really get to know all the ins and outs of of every uh, of every client's uh, life. Absolutely, yeah, it's very very cool. All right. Well, let's jump into the meat of our podcast here. And uh, as I indicated previously, the topic today is the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. And all the time, and I'm sure you experience the same thing, I get inquiries from people who say, 
you know, I'm sitting at about 375 comprehensive ranking system points within the express entry system. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like I'm going to get a job offer or, you know, nothing's going to change. Are there any other options? You know, what can I do as someone who's looking to come to Canada? Um, how can I apply for permanent residence? I, I've heard about these provincial nominee programs. And and so those types of questions are, are what really pushed me to, to want to do these or this series of podcasts on the uh, Canadian provincial nominee program. So, so give us a little bit of an overview of what the Manitoba... PNP offers, I guess. So the Manitoba PNP program is, uh, is is a great program for individuals who have connections to Manitoba. Um, you know, you and I were both at the annual uh, conference for immigration lawyers in Vancouver back in April, and during the conference, our our wonderful Minister John McCallum was asked about provincial nominee programs, and I think he highlighted the Manitoba program as being one of the the best, or at least uh, one of the most successful um, uh, provincial nominee programs in Canada. Um, I think part of the reason for that is that the uh, that Manitoba it's a pretty it's a small bar, and we work closely with the program. Um, in order to um, to get uh, applicants and to help applicants who genuinely want to come to Manitoba and stay in Manitoba, um, and I think for that reason we've had a lot of success. the uh, The program has definitely gone through some ups and downs. I was listening to your uh, podcast where you were talking about the program in Alberta and and all of the ups and downs that have been going on over there. Yeah. The, uh, the program here in Manitoba has also gone through ups and downs over the years, um, but it's a very good program for individuals who have connections to the province, um, and uh, including family members, work experience, study experience, that type of thing. And so if they're at that seven, 375 or, or 400 points and they need, uh, uh, they need a few more points in order to really have a viable uh, shot at permanent resident status, then the Manitoba program um, is, a, is definitely a good option. So that's a good question. So obviously with each of these provincial nominee programs, the provinces don't want to nominate people that are not intending on actually staying and living and contributing to that province. So are there pathways for individuals who maybe do not have a real solid connection with Manitoba right now to to be able to benefit from the program if they truly do uh, intend to reside in, in Manitoba once they become a permanent resident? If an individual really doesn't have any connections to the province, um, I would say uh, that they would need to uh, do at least some preliminary investigation. Um, One of the things that I do is I help um, applicants do what's called an exploratory visit, uh, where they come and uh, they spend some time in the province. I, uh, I can then provide them contact information to potential community leaders within their community uh, in the province. And then during that exploratory visit, they can then help establish some of those connections. Gotcha. So the key is obviously to make sure that, uh, that there is evidence that they can provide versus just an attestation, yes, I want to live in Manitoba. That's right. And I mean, we can get to this later, but one of the most common issues uh, that the province has 
is that applicants um, say in their initial application, their expression of interest, they say that they have connections, but those connections are later found not to be genuine connections. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then the application can be refused. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard individuals who have received their confirmation of permanent residence and are going through the landing process and uh, let's say they're landing in Vancouver with a Manitoba nomination and uh, and the officer asks them, so where do you intend to live? And they say, well, Victoria, <laughs> and uh, have had the whole process unraveled because of uh, clearly no intention of actually going to Manitoba. That's right. And my understanding is that in those cases, um, it falls uh, within misrepresentation. And uh, the part of their application, part of the, one of the material facts that they provided for their permanent resident application was their intention to uh, reside in Manitoba. So if they uh, are going through the landing process at the, the port of entry and the officer asks them, where do you intend to reside? and they don't give an answer that is within the province of Manitoba, that could lead to a finding of misrepresentation. That makes perfect sense. Okay, well, why don't you take just a few minutes and and just give us a little bit of an overview as to how uh, foreign nationals go about the application process. Sure. Um, so generally, so I have on my uh, on my website uh, kind of a whole guide of going through all the different steps, but I can kind of summarize it um, in let's just say three steps. So the first step um, is going uh, through the the online application process and submitting an expression of interest. Um, when after that is done, the uh, the data is then sent to the MPNP office, which is located here in downtown Winnipeg, and it's put into their system. So uh, the MPNP program was revamped uh, at the uh, kind of in the beginning, mid of 2015. And so we're currently on, we're not on a first in, first out system. Um, so um, the province selects applicants uh, every month or sometimes every two weeks, depending on how busy they are. Um, and they select the top applicants. And so uh, those applicants are given a, uh, a letter um a letter of advice to apply, what we call an LAA, and uh, and when they get that LAA, then they provide a full application that includes the settlement plan and confirmation of all the details that they have listed in their expression of interest. Hmm. So that's the second step. That's, and that's then, interesting. I'm just going to jump in for one quick second. That sounds sure. vaguely familiar to another program that I'm I'm aware of. Uh, called Express Entry. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> so there's a lot of similarities between the two. Hmm. Yes, there is. Um, and in fact, uh, my understanding, we, we had a, uh, a meeting with the director of the PNP program here, uh, Fanny Levy, and uh, she was talking about that exact point. Uh, so uh, Manitoba is, is I don't, I don't know about other provinces, so, so I can't compare it really to other provinces, but I can say that the Manitoba staff work closely with the, with the folks at IRCC, and I believe that they try to mimic the federal programs as much as they can to, uh, to ensure uh, smooth processing. 
Gotcha. Now, does, uh, and I know you're still finishing uh, kind of your, your little rundown of the application process, but uh, does the Manitoba PNP have any um, express entry streams? Uh, so the they work with the express entry uh, program, um, and uh, the uh, so so I think the short answer is yes. We got uh, an additional 500 nomination certificates based on uh, express entry, um, so they work together. Gotcha. Very cool. So the third uh, step in the process is the is then the permanent resident uh, application, and so the individual takes the nomination certificate um, and then applies to the federal government um, for the uh, for permanent resident status, and that's when they're assessed for um, admissibility uh, and and other factors. Gotcha. Hmm. So, about how long does this process take? So. I, you know, I get that question all the time, Mark. I'm sure you get that question all, all the, the time. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the biggest question mark uh, in uh, with that with that question is where when they're selected, because we uh, have had clients who have, let's say, so let's say we're in July right now. So if we receive an application from a skilled worker overseas and that skilled worker, let's say, receives approximately uh, 500 points uh, when they're doing the initial assessment, um, then uh, they would potentially not be selected in the July draw or the August draw or maybe even the September draw. Um, but if that same uh, or but a different client who, let's say, receives uh, 700 or 800 points, they would be selected immediately and that can really shorten down the timelines. So a lot depends on the strength of the application as to how quickly the applications can be processed. Gotcha. And just to clarify for our listeners as well, these points that Alistair is referring to are the Manitoba PNP's uh, point threshold, right? These are uh, th- these are the points that they're allocated when they make their initial expressions, I guess, of interest to the Manitoba PNP. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's called the MPNC Express Entry Ranking Points Grid. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we use. Um, So it's tied with Express Entry, but it is a separate grid. Um, And the points um, uh, grid has been created by the province of Manitoba. Perfect. Okay, so if you have an individual who is working in Manitoba and has a residence and has lots of connections with Manitoba, what options do they have in terms of specific streams? Is this just the only stream that they go through uh, for skilled workers? No, so there are two basic uh, streams. So there's the skilled worker stream and then there's the business stream. And in fact, uh, uh, so the initial application is uh, the first step um, is the same. Um, so they can put the, through the expression of interest um, on the website. Um, and in fact, when MPMP receives that information, um, the province um, might even move the application if they, let's say, express um, interest in the skilled worker stream, but they also might meet the business stream requirements. The province might actually uh, send them a letter um, advising them, uh, requesting them to apply under the business stream. Hmm. So that's for skilled workers. What about low skill workers? Are there any options so the, for them? 
So low-skilled workers would apply under the same stream. There isn't a separate stream for low-skilled workers. Um, the and in Manitoba, the um, among the most common uh, successful applicants are those, let's say, in uh, in food processing, and they would also apply under the skilled worker um, uh, category of those of skilled workers in Manitoba. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so. I guess the next question, where do you see the Manitoba PNP headed for the future? Do you see any upcoming changes or, you know, have they given you any inclination as to, obviously we know from the minister that there isn't going to be a big influx of uh, allocations granted to any of the provinces anytime soon, as he described himself as a federalist and immigration is under the, uh, you know, their, their mandate. But um, what do you see the future uh, for for the Manitoba PNP. Well, uh, one of the reasons why we had the meeting with uh, the director of NPNP is because we have a lot of questions ourselves. So in Manitoba, we had a provincial NDP government in power for many many years, and then uh, just recently, earlier this year, we elected a, uh, a conservative government. Hmm. And so we have uh, a new premier and. Uh, and a new uh, cabinet, a new a new government, and so the program uh, right now is also under a new minister, uh, and so we're waiting to see uh, what changes uh, he uh, may decide. Um, at this point, uh, Fanny has indicated that the Conservative government is not interested in changing anything at this time, but the government is very new, and I'm sure they will review things as as we go along. And so who knows? Uh, if the government uh, decides that they want to make some changes to the program, then this new Conservative government may do so. Hmm. You know, it's kind of ironic uh, with Alberta having a conservative uh, government for 40 years or however long, and now us flipping to a, an NDP government. It's it's interesting to see how the things ebb and flow in our dear country here. Okay, well, let's shift gears just a little bit. And uh, I know as an individual um, who has restricted their practice to a certain area of the law, you of it, that very process uh, start to acquire a little bit more expertise in, in certain aspects. And um, although the various law societies uh, confirm that we cannot hold ourselves out as experts, that's definitely the case. I know that you've had a lot of opportunity to interact with the Manitoba PNP and both representing clients and your involvement with uh, uh, Canadian Bar Association and things like that. I thought maybe it would be helpful for our listeners to get you to share uh, two top three lists for us. The first one, maybe the top three practical tips for submitting an application to the MPNP, and then we'll have you follow up with the top three common mistakes or errors people make when they're doing it. How does that sound? Sure. Sounds good, Mark. Okay, awesome. Um, so the first tip um, is uh, for individuals who are interested in the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program to take the expression of interest um, application seriously. Um, so there is no fee for submitting uh, an MPNP application. There's no government fee. 
And uh, what we've seen is that a number of people have submitted the application and they have not, uh, uh, they've not taken the first step very seriously and uh, they've maybe exaggerated for some information. So that's the first step. The, the expression of interest and all the information in that initial uh, application must be seriously vetted to make sure it's 100% accurate. Um, a second uh, practical tip. Um, is uh, is to have some patience because uh, it's entirely possible that if you submit an application and your points are around, let's say, the 500 mark or the 550 mark, that maybe your application at the expression of at the expression of uh, interest stage is not selected after one or two months, but the the, uh, the the numbers for the minimum number of points required for each uh, for each pool changes, and so a few months down the road, um, your application might be selected. Um, and then uh, thirdly, um, when you are submitting the information in the expression of interest stage to um, to maybe have someone help you who is a native English speaker or get a representative at that stage. Um, because if you then hire a representative at the second stage, at the, um, the letter of advice to apply stage, then uh, that in, the representative might not have all the information submitted at that first stage. Um, and we, we have seen that quite a bit, where individuals receive the LAA and then they come to us for assistance, but we don't have the background uh, information that they've already submitted. Um, and, uh, and at that point, there's only, we only have 60 days to provide a full application at that point, and we want to make sure that all of the information is accurate. That's awesome. Um, so then, I'm going to jump hmm. in right there and just put a plug in. Um, you know, I, as an Alberta... Yeah, locating in Alberta, a practicing immigration lawyer, I do not do any Manitoba PNP applications. So this is me as an immigration lawyer. I don't do them. And the reason I, do, I don't do them is because I don't have enough on the ground experience to know exactly what's going to give a person the best chance of getting through this, you know, this initial stage. And so I will refer clients to my good colleagues and friends in Manitoba who really know what they're doing. So if you're an international person who's looking at exploring options in Manitoba, do not waste your time with a representative who does not live in Manitoba. Don't waste your time with someone who's overseas in your home country who seems to know everything there is to know about every application uh, for the various provincial nomination programs across the country. Don't be deceived. They know very little more than you do, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just read the website. So this is my plug for Alistair and all our other wonderful colleagues who, who, uh, who practice immigration law in Manitoba, that you are far better off uh, paying a little bit of extra money to get that assistance because it could make the difference between you qualifying and not. So there, this is my podcast. I can say whatever I want. So that is my plug for, for you guys. Thanks, Mark. And, and just... So you're aware, all of our fees are online on our website. So if anyone is wondering how much we cost, um, um, you can go to our website and all the fees are published online. We charge the same amount for someone in, um, you know, India or China or Dubai or, or wherever. And uh, we'll make sure that we have uh, a link to your website and contact information as well um, within the show notes. Sure, it sounds good. And, uh, and so just getting to some of the most common errors uh, that we see, um, uh, the first error is, uh, is simply that the, 
that an individual has misrepresented their connections to Manitoba. Because I think within the communities, a lot of people realize that they have to have some connections. And unfortunately, a market has developed for selling uh, false connections to the province. And people are submitting uh, applications with, uh, with information that they have uh, paid for in order to show a connection. But uh, the province is acutely aware of this, and they're increasingly doing investigations in order to, cons- to confirm the connection to the province. Um, and those people are, are getting into trouble. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you just want me to continue. Yeah, please. Yeah, please, sure. please do. This is this is why people are, are are listening to the podcast. This inside information that you're only going to get because you're there and practicing in the area. This is the the real value. So please go right ahead. Hmm. Um, and uh, the second one is uh, that what what we find with errors is that they people will they don't want to take the uh, the language uh, exam. And uh, in, before they apply, and as we, as you know, uh, Mark, um, the Canadian government requires uh, proof of language scores, and they will estimate um, their scores um, without having taken the exam, and then submit those scores to the province. And then afterwards, uh, once they receive an LAA, they uh, will then uh, think, "Oh, now I need to take the uh, the English or French exam." And uh, and in some areas, it's very difficult to schedule uh, uh, an English exam, and they don't, and they can't do it within the 60-day period where they have to submit the full application. So they're getting tripped up um, at that stage. And I guess the reality too is that they may very well not score as high as they've indicated in in their initial application. That's exactly right. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, the third uh, tip. I, I suppose um, is um, that like right now, what we're finding is is that the province um, has been very particular with the types of professions that it is uh, seeking uh, based on the labor market. So uh, Manitoba recently released that it's no longer uh, selecting individuals who are uh, nurses or doctors because the province has a sufficient number of nurses and doctors. Um, and, but uh, if uh, an applicant is applying as, let's say, a healthcare aide, then the application might be selected to go to the next step. Um, and uh, so one error that we're, we're seeing is that an individual won't read all that information. They'll apply as, for example, a nurse when they could have applied as a healthcare aide, and, uh, and that's tripping them up because uh, it falls under that category, under a category that's just not getting selected. They might have enough points um, based on their uh, their application, but based on their the the profession that they're intending to go into, their application is not going forward. Hmm. That's a great tip. All right. Well, is there so? Do you have anything else uh, that? you know, you think would be really valuable for our listeners um, before we close off the episode today? Um, you know, I, I like, uh, I'm just, you know, the, we just, one of the reasons why the program was relaunched was because the, um, the province saw that many individuals being granted uh, a nomination certificate, they were moving to outside of the province. So they were, like you said in your previous example, they were going to Vancouver 
before they were going to Toronto. Um, and I have a number of clients who contact me and they say, I, I have connections to Manitoba. I'd like to apply under the Manitoba PNP program. Um, I, I don't, but I don't want to promise that I'm going to be there for the rest of my life. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. So the applicants need to show that they have connections to the province, but they're not signing away the rest of their lives. So they can come to the province. We've had individuals. I have one guy who has been here for five or ten years, and he got a great job um, outside of Manitoba. And uh, so now uh, so he's moving um, outside of Manitoba, and he came to me and he said, you know, Alistair, is there going to be, um, is there going to be any immigration uh, risk um, if I move outside because I came under the PNP program? And uh, the answer is no. So he is a permanent resident with all the rights as a permanent resident, including the mobility rights. And even though he came here under the PNP program, it doesn't mean that he has to live here with his family for the rest of his life. Hmm. That's that's a great that's a great tip, and I know lots of people are are somewhat confused. And I know uh, you know foreign representatives, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, go out of their way to tell people, look, you just need to show enough to establish with the officer uh, adjudicating your application that you intend to reside in that province. But once you reside there, you know you could reside there for a week and then move on. And I'm almost positive, Alistair, you're exactly like me. If I get any sense that that's the real intention, well, ultimately, I won't represent them. And uh, But what that means is that people genuinely want to get settled and, and try their hand at, at uh, you know, uh, living in the province. And if, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't work out, then yes, people have labor mobility rights. But yeah, from an ethical and, you know, just even my own standpoint, um, People have to have a genuine desire to to live in the province because hey, let's face it, I, I live here. This is my province. I'm proud of it, and uh, you know I don't want people using up spots uh, who have within the the allocation of nominations for my province that other people, other ones of my clients that are actually going to stay here work and, and make this their home and, and raise their families. Absolutely. And, uh, and of course, uh, Mark, I mean, I'm born in, in Edmonton, so I can't say uh, too many bad things about your province. But <laughs> Manitoba is, of course, the best province in, the, in Canada. <laughs> Alberta, maybe a close second. Um, but one of the, the things that I uh, really appreciate about Manitoba is that once an individual gets a nomination certificate, the province then really helps uh, that individual on the PR side of things. So um, I had one uh, client, for example, he, uh, he and his family, they were granted uh, the, the nomination certificate. He, uh, his son has uh, medical issues, and so when we applied under the, at the PR stage, they found the child to be medically inadmissible. Um, and uh, when that came to light, the province um, actually bent over backwards to then help us um, with, the, uh, with the appeal for, uh, for the child. And uh, all the and they provided um, uh, quotes from facilities here in Winnipeg that will uh, be providing medical services for the child, so that the child's uh, health needs were not an excessive demand. Um, and the province takes every nomination uh, certificate very seriously. They, once they grant the certificate, they essentially have decided that that they want this individual. And, uh, and so they will work with the individual to then meet their goals of, of coming to, to Canada. 
That is awesome. I have, I, I had not heard that before. Um, I know, uh, like, I really appreciate the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program and what it does, but they have a tendency to try to call people out that have any external issues versus, you know, really getting behind them to a large extent. And so to hear that the, you know, the Manitoba PNP is doing that is really cool. That's awesome. Well, Alistair, I think we've come to the end of our, our interview here, but I want to express appreciation for you taking the time to share your insight and knowledge of the Manitoba PNP. And uh, obviously, I think you've uh, instilled a lot of um, uh, faith and, and uh, uh, in your abilities and in, in the listeners that are um, that are listening to the podcast today. If they say, "Hey, I want to check out Manitoba." And uh, I'm going to do the smart thing and actually engage someone to, to walk me through the process. How can they reach you? What's the best way to reach you? So the best way to reach me, um, Mark, is through my website. So apply to manitoba.ca. All uh, my contact information is on there. Um, if they want to contact me directly, my email address is clark, C-L-E-R-K-E, at uh, apply to manitoba.ca. And uh, I take, I respond to every email, I respond to every call, um, and I take every query seriously. So, you know, I, I have a background as a teacher. I worked with legal aid for many years. I really, uh, I, I see part my job as being part educator, um, and I love to educate my clients. I teach them every step. I hold their hands and walk them through um, whatever process they need. And so if they want to reach out and get a hold of me, I will do my best to, to help out. Awesome. That is fantastic. I will make sure as well that we put a link to your blog, although it's all accessible once they get to your website. And I'll also put some direct links to some of your past blogs. And you mentioned briefly, you, you wrote one entitled uh, the MPNP from temporary status to PR status, and then also how to apply and tips. So I'll make sure those are in the show notes and that will give people easy access to some of your, uh, uh, yeah, the blogs that you've written in the past. So thanks so much, Alistair. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure. You bet. Okay, take care. You too. Well, that was once again a great interview with Alistair. I really appreciated uh, him taking the time to share a little bit of insight on the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. You know, it's really interesting to see how each province has their own little deal with the federal government. They each have their unique, um, you know, application processes, but... The underlying rationale with all of these provincial nominee programs is that there is a strong expectation that you are going to actually live in those provinces. And so uh, I think that held true here with the Manitoba one, and we'll see as well with the other provinces. But if you are a foreign national or if you are a lawyer uh, looking to explore various options for your clients, the key for all of these provincial nominee programs is that your clients are actually going to live there or you intend to actually immigrate and live in that province. And uh, I know that holds true with Alberta and some of the other provinces as we start to discuss the various PNPs across the country. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you liked what you heard, uh, please share it. Let other people know about the podcast and give... um, 
give a shout out on iTunes as well. If you could leave a review there, that would be wonderful because uh, then it brings, it raises the profile of the podcast so more people can become aware of it. If you have any thoughts or questions, drop me a line on, you know, on any of the various social media platforms that I'm circulating on. And there's also a, a Canadian Immigration Podcast Facebook page as well as the homepage. So leave me a message. I love to hear from you. And if you have thoughts on uh, speakers for the future or other topics that you'd like to see covered within the Canadian Immigration Podcast, please let me know. All right, this is Mark Holthy. I am signing off uh, for episode 25. And uh, I wish you all the best in your efforts to navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Yeah.